0: Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the summer series of Popcorn and Compliance. Yes, Tom and Jay Rosen are back to look at the season three of The Mandalorian. All the things you would expect from Tom and Jay in a Popcorn and Compliance episode are with us in this series. Each episode, we'll look at the storyline Tom and Jay will discuss some of the highlights for them. I know you'll enjoy this special season of Popcorn and Compliance, The Mandalorian. If you're a fan of Star Wars or The Mandalorian, Jay and I would love to hear from you on your thoughts on this special podcast series. This fourth episode, we take up The Foundling. I hope. If you enjoy this podcast, you will subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. This episode begins with the secret Mandalorian enclave where the Mandalorian introduces Grogu to Mandalorian combat training. Grogu wins a training match, but his opponent, Ragnar Vizla another youngster, is captured by a large raptor. The Mandalorian and Ragnar's father, Paz Vizsla, who has been in conflict with the Mandalorian, attempt to go after the creature, but their jetpacks run out of fuel, halting their effort. However, Bo-Katan pursues the raptor, and her ship manages to track down the location of its nest, mapping out the terrain for a rescue mission. Later, the Mandalorian and Vizsla reunite with Bo-Katan at the Enclave, and they begin to devise a plan to rescue the child. Bisla points out that if they use jetpacks, the raptor will hear them and kill Ragnar, the child. So Bo-Katan suggests traveling to the nest on foot. The Mandalorians gather a hunting power party and set off towards the creature's lair. Meanwhile, the armorer leads Grogu into her forge and crafts a new piece of Mandalorian armor for him a rondelle bearing the Mandalorian's mudhorn signal. As she works, Grogu has visions of the siege of the Jedi Temple during the initial enactment of Order 66 and his rescue from the temple by the Jedi Master, Kelleran Buck, and sympathetic members of the Naboo-armed forces. The next morning, the hunting party manages to reach the raptor's nest, but they discover the nest is empty. Vizsla's over-eagerness to save his son disrupts Bo-Katan's plans and alerts the raptor to the Mandalorian's presence, leading to a difficult aerial confrontation in which Bo-Katan and the Mandalorian's son, is uh, the Mandalorian himself, rescue the boy unharmed, kill the raptor, collect its chicks to be trained, and earn the clan's eternal gratitude and respect. As the Armorer replaces bo pauldron, which was lost in the scuffle, bo reveals her encounter with the Mythosaur, and the Armorer meets her account with indifferent disbelief, at least, to begin with. Jay, we are at Episode 4 of Season 3, The Foundling. What were your initial thoughts on this episode?
1: My initial thoughts were I continue to love the development of Grogu. And initially, I loved him as a cute little puppet. But he's, I don't know if there's the cult of Grogu, but I am there. Uh, I'm wearing my Karate Kid t-shirt. And there is definitely, I'm not sure if it's in this one, but we're going to talk to a point where Grogu is basically fighting Ralph Macchio. And they're doing the scene from the tournament that you've got three hits and the first team, first combatant to get three hits on the other person wins. I'm all about Grogu for this episode.
0: So fun fact that I'll start with this episode was actually directed by Carl Weathers. Yes, Apollo Creed himself dropped down to handle the directorial role in this one. I didn't know he did directing, but he does. And he did this episode. This scene, I have to admit, I have never seen the Karate Kid, nor any of its remakes. Now I know where the three came from, but I took this opening scene where you saw it as, inspired by the Karate Kid, I saw it as bullying, and the way you defeat a bully is to stand up to him, and maybe that was the whole point of the Karate Kid, but the covert which is the group of Mandalores or Mandalorians, they believe in a very Spartan regime and foundlings are trained literally in hand-to-hand combat with each other. And so the militaristic aspect of that, I found a little disconcerting. Nevertheless, Ogu accounts himself well. He uses his full powers. He whips ass on the bully and they shake hands and walk away except that the bully is the son of not exactly the high priest, but the mouthiest, most zealous religious Mandalore who doesn't like Darjin and doesn't like Grogu and basically doesn't want any immigrants coming to his covert. But a reptilian creature, avian bird creature of some type, Kidnaps his son, who has bought Grogu, and Darjin and Bo Katan lead a rescue party. And this was the single event that did a lot of things, Jay. It brought Darjin into the covert. And when I say covert, that's the group. It's not covert undercover. It's that's the name of their group, their clan. It established him as a member of that covert. It established Bo-Katan as a leader that we'll get to at the end. But also, we knew she was a fairly fearless fighter. And that was emphasized again in this episode. And we got a another plot point question answered, which is, how do Mandalorians eat? And we were given the answer to that because they were all at a camp. And they all go off separately to a location away from each other, take their helmets off, and eat alone. But Bo-Katan was given the honor of remaining at the camp because she was the mission leader. And she was told that by the father of the son who was kidnapped, a Mouthy zealot. And that really was a place of honor. And he made it clear you are being honored for your role as the leader of this rescue mission. The rescue mission is successful. And so that really cements Bo-Katan as a leader within the covert and gives Starjin, I think, additional credibility within the covert. And that will mean to the greater Mandalorian community as well. And this episode ends with Jay the mythosaur coming sort of full circle. So we were introduced to the mythosaur at the end of the convert. We had a little bit about that creature in the last episode, but now it comes full circle and it came full circle as Bo-Katan is creating essentially, it's really a tattoo, but of course it's not a tattoo because she wears it on her armor But it's a piece that she attaches to her armor that is forged by the armorer, the woman who has led the covert. And she asks, Bo Katan asks, can she have the metal crafted into the shape of the mythosaur, which is up on the wall of the armorer's, not her office, but her workshop. And the armorer says, yes, as the mythosaur belongs to all. Mandalorians but it also to me Jay signified that she's wearing the emblem of the mythical creature of Mandalore and you don't wear that unless you either bested the creature or the creature serves you and I think she has identified herself as the leader of the exiled Mandalorians that are going to try to Either return to Mandalore or go to another planet. A lot of psychology in this episode, some, of course, some great action as well. But what started for me as a very troubling fight scene by a bully and Grogu really expanded out to tell, I thought, a very compelling story.
1: The other question I'll ask you it seems that while the rescue is going on and while the armorer is making a piece of armor for Grogu that he has these visions of him being saved from a burning temple. So time-wise, can you slot that in? When did that happen? Is it the future or the past?
0: One of the either interesting or difficult things about season three was you had to cross-reference Boba Fett. (laughs) Because the end of Boba Fett, season three, had parts around Grogu's story and i thought they were referencing the end of that season of boba fett where grogu was in a temple or what had been what was the ruins of a temple so it had been a temple and he was attacked and abducted there but maybe there was some other reference up but i picked it back to that episode in the boba fett series gotcha so what did you think about the sort of psychological play, starting with the scene where he defeats the bully in the three darts and then moving to the capture of the, the bully, the son, and then the mission to save the son, and then most particularly the end where Bo-Katan gets the mythosaur attached as a medal on her armor?
1: I think it all it gives you a panoply of different Interactions with machismo and about where men fit into society and how they fight. And we're going to see later on that I think Bo-Katan is as furious a warrior as anybody in the story. There probably should have been some more women who are fighting along the covert with them. But I love the couple of episodes. There was a scene where he comes into her and wants her to help him lead founding, going to where the poisonous atmosphere is and going underneath where the Minds of Mandalore used to be. And she's just sitting there, splayed out on this double, it's it's almost like a leather couch. And it made me think of either Conan the Barbarian, or I think in one of the Conan movies, I think there was a famous basketball player It
0: was the second one, Wilt Chamberlain.
1: Wilt Chamberlain's there. So, again, just when you look at her body language and she's all splayed out, she's like this warrior and she's, I don't have time to go underneath your little planet and see whether or not it's toxic. I am Bo-Katan, the warrior. So I think she she does it for all of us.
0: Well, and that's that's a great pickup, Jay, because it really shows her evolution that, yeah, you do. And you have to lead. And you have to lead not simply by example, but you have to lead by actually saving people and doing the things we expect of a leader, and we expect a captain who's going to lead from the front, not from the command post in the rear, or a big castle splayed out like a Greek goddess or in a Roman orgy. Yeah, so I saw a lot of evolution of her character, particularly at the end. With the Mythosaurus I thought that was really significant. Jay, I look forward to taking up the next episode with you, which will be episode five in season three, The Pirate. And until then, I am Tom Fox. And I'm Jay Rosen. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Popcorn and Compliance, where in this special season we're looking at the Mandalorian season three. Popcorn and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. If Jay and I would love to hear from you, if you have any comments, questions, or information you would like to share with us about your feelings, views, on The Mandalorian Season 3. Thanks again for listening, and we hope that you will Join us again for our next episode of Popcorn and Compliance, The Mandalorian Season 3.